We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Imam Al-Ghazali, far away. Okay, so we're on like the last part of chapter 1, which is the elucidation. So uh, Imam Al-Ghazali writes here um, that the affairs of the world are arranged in an orderly manner only through the efforts of mankind. Their efforts, professions, and crafts can be viewed as occurring within three classes of activity. And so he mentions these three classes of activity. The first is the basic activities of mankind, and Imam Al-Ghazali defines this as um, without these activities of mankind, uh, there wouldn't be any permanence in the world, um, and they comprise four categories of occupations. Agriculture, weaving for clothing, building for dwellings, and politics for cohesiveness and social order, um, and just general well-being. Then he mentions the second category, um, and that's relating to what is needed for the preparation of basic crafts, like for example, uh, a blacksmith or an agriculture person, um, and other crafts that help uh, increase society or better society as a whole. And then the third category is relating to activities that are associated with the final products of the basic activities, uh, such as mailing or bread making um, or bleaching for, for one who weaves, like for clothing. Um, and all three of these elements um, are in relation to the order of the world. And they can be likened to the individual organs and members or parts of a human being itself as they relate to the entirety of this person. So that's also comprised of three categories. The essentials, like our heart, our liver, our brain. Those that support them, such as our, uh, such as our veins, our arteries, um, our capillaries. And then those that complete and perfect them, such as nails, fingers, eyebrows, hair, um, etc. <coughs> and so... He, he begins to start uh, comparing these aspects, the three that I just mentioned, to the concept of, uh, of our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says the noblest of all these human activities are the most fundamental, and the noblest of these fundamentals is the discipline of governance that assures social cohesiveness. So then he starts talking about governance, and he says that the discipline of governance, governance sorry, um, assures the general well-being of the people and their guidance along the straight path. Um, the most exalted of governance is obviously the Prophet uh, and their governance extends over the entire population um, and concerns both their outward deeds and inner deeds. Then the second discipline of governance is that of the Khalifas. Um, their authority extends over the entirety as well. Um, however, it's for outward deeds, not inward deeds. So the Prophets had outward and inward deeds. Um, the Khalifas had outward deeds. Then the third is that of the scholars who knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his religion, and those are considered the heirs of the prophets, Their realm of governance exceeds, um, or sorry, extends over the inner thoughts. So they have control over the inner thoughts, but not over the outward, not enforcing like the Khalifas do. And the fourth is the one that admonishes. His authority is over the inner states and attitudes of the common folk. The noblest of these four disciplines of governance after that of the prophets is disseminating knowledge. So even though the Khalifas have more power because they have uh, the ability to enforce rules, the, uh, the second that's most noble is that of the scholars because they know the religion. Um, and then Imam Ghazali writes that, we stress above that teaching is the most noble of disciplines and crafts because the nobility of a discipline or an occupation is recognizable through three traits. By giving consideration to the innate nature by which 
cognizance uh, and discipline is, in, is attained. That's the first one. The second is by considering the overall benefit provided. And third, by giving the consideration to the raw material of the occupation. Um, and, for, and because of that, teaching is the best. Because no uh, it's no secret that the Islamic disciplines, uh, understanding the path of the hereafter and attaining salvation for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most noble thing that you can teach to someone else. So that's this chapter that Allah, that Imam al-Ghazali writes about um, the the disciplines of governance and the most noble of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, essentially straightforward. Now think about what he's doing now. He is categorizing everything. He's giving us a complete worldly picture. And, and another way to think of this whole set of 40 books, you know, we're starting with Kitab al-Ilm, the book of knowledge, is this whole thing is essentially a tafsir of the Quran. And, and, and so it's the responsibility of every generation to figure out how to uh, do Islam, how to understand Islam for their time and place. So he's giving you step-by-step step that full picture. Can you explain again, like, what do you mean by this entire thing to get the tafsir of the Quran? So, so the common uh, uh, approach of tafsir is here's an ayah, here's what it means. Or here's an ayah, here's a grammatical analysis. Or here's an ayah, here's a legal analysis. Okay. We call that atomistic, right? It's like each ayah is an atom, and it's giving an explanation. But the essence of what he's doing in these 40 volumes is he's giving a complete picture of Islam. Isn't that what the Quran is? Right? The Quran is a complete picture of Islam. He's giving us a complete picture of Islam derived from the Quran, and then by extension from, from the Sunnah and such, and by extension other other references, sayings, teachings, reason and such. And he's giving a vision of Islam for his era. So on the one hand, this book is we're reading it seven or eight hundred years later, nine hundred years later. And so on the one hand, there is some aspect of this book that's universal. <laughs> for all time and place. Uh, and on the other hand, this book is primarily for that era. What would you say would be some differences, looking at like the breakdown that you just gave, what would be some differences between his era and now, if anything? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think some of the things that like he alludes to, um, like when he mentions like the blacksmiths and their traits um, and like that type of society, our society has obviously evolved in mm-hmm. such radical ways mm-hmm. compared to that. Yeah, so so technology and such has changed the, the type of employments. The understanding of the human body has also changed too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the school of medicine that they were using back then is the school of, of Galen, for which the liver is one of the central uh, organs. Uh, now what would we say is one of the central organs? Um, the heart, the lungs. Mm-hmm. The brain. The brain. The brain would be one of the, 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 now in our contemporary view, increasingly the brain becomes your most central organ. Meaning, you can have an artificial heart, you can have an artificial lung, you can't have an artificial brain. I mean, with undergrad sometimes I, well anyway, anyway, so, <laughs> so, so yeah. And so, um, let's see, there's something else from that chapter, um. Uh, do we do the other stuff before, like the the parts of learning and such? Yeah, we covered them. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Any questions or anything? Uh, should we move on to chapter two, or if you have some, if you have ready. Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, in chapter two, uh, I'll just read the abstract really quick. Um, okay. On praiseworthy knowledge and blameworthy knowledge. Uh, categ- that's, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, there are categories and rulings, including an elucidation of what is compulsory for each individual and what is compulsory for the community as a whole. What are the terms? What? For individual versus community? <clears throat> what's, in co- what's compulsory for individual? What is that called in Arabic? Fard Ain. Fard Ain. And then what's the other one? Um, for community as a whole, that's Fard... Uh, Kifaya. Kifaya, okay. Yeah. I can go for it. Um, and the elucidation of the extent to which the fields of theology and jurisprudence are part of the Islamic disciplines and the excellence of the knowledge in the hereafter. So, um, Imam al-Ghazali, he starts with the elucidation of knowledge that is Fardain, that is compulsory for each individual. Um, and so he starts with a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ says, narrated in Ibn Majah, seeking knowledge is an obligation for every Muslim. Um, and so people, he says that people have differed about how much knowledge um, every Muslim is obliged to acquire and, you know, what is a person supposed to do to that knowledge. So we've talked about this before, um, about the compulsoriness of, of knowledge, of acquiring knowledge, that it's not just that, like, it's not just informative knowledge and in that you just take it in, but rather transformative knowledge that you take it in and then you apply it into your life. That's the one that's fought, that's true or in, because otherwise it's like gluttony because you're just feeding it to yourself. You're not yes. really benefiting from it. Um, <clears throat> so he writes that uh, we'll not take time to dwell into all the details, but rather we'll present the result, uh, which is that each faction has made obligatory that knowledge in which they're engaged. So the theologians, they say that the knowledge that is obligatory is the knowledge of dialectal theology, ilm al-khalam. For through it, one arrives at an understanding of the principle of God's unity and comes to know the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his attributes. So that's the one that they consider to be the most essential. Just understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understanding like his essence, his attributes, and how to get close to him. The jurists, they say that the knowledge of jurisprudence or fiqh is what's the most important. So it depends on basically what like what person you ask or what uh, group of people you ask. If you ask the theologians, they'll say that understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more important. Uh, the jurists will say that understanding jurisprudence or fiqh will be more important because through that you come to understand the acts of worship, how to perform them, how to make them per- as perfect as you can, and what is uh, permitted and forbidden. The people who study the Qur'an and the narrators of hadith like the muhadithin, they'll say that the knowledge of the Qur'an is the most important because it is through the Qur'an that you can derive fiqh. It is through the Qur'an that you can understand how to become a better Muslim. The Sufis, they'll say that the intent of this knowledge, um, uh, of this is knowledge of Sufism. And they'll say that it is the servant's knowledge of his own inward state and his station before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas others will say that it is the knowledge of sincerity, uh, and the ability to distinguish the inspiration of an angel from the inspiration of a devil. So basically, um, the meaning of what is uh, mandatory knowledge changes based on who you ask mm-hmm. um, because of what is essential for that person. Um, so this is what he writes. He says that they've changed the general meaning of uh, obligatory for every Muslim from its general sense. Um, and I think that like in this Thing, he's just in general critiquing uh, the state of his uh, his like era yeah. at that time because he's trying to say that like you know the people at that time are considering the mandatory knowledge based on what their specific fields are 
But what he's trying to say is that, like, you know, there's just a general sense of what the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam means. Uh, and so he's, he narrates uh, something from Abu Talib al Makki. He says that knowledge that is obligatory is knowledge of that which is comprised in the hadith that speaks to the foundation of Islam, which is uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying, Bunya al Islam ala khams. Right, Islam was built upon five foundations: Shahada ya la ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah, wa iqam al-salat, wa ita al-zikah, wa hajj al-bayt, wa salam Ramadan. That the five pillars are uh, belief in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and His Messenger, salah, uh, prayer, uh, salm, which is uh, uh, fasting, and then zikah, which is um, almsgiving, and then hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, because these five are obligatory, the knowledge of the manner in which they are accomplished meaning how to perform them, is also obligatory. That's what Imam Ghazali is trying to say. Then he says that it is essential that the one seeking to grasp this be most certain and have no doubt about what was mentioned. Um, it is that knowledge, uh, and we have presented it in the introduction of the book, as we read, can be divided into the knowledge of one's own conduct um, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with the people around him, and that's called mu'amalat, and knowledge of unveiling, which is called uh, um, which is like like knowledge of the unseen realm uh, with the sole objective intended being uh, the knowledge of his own conduct <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the people around him so should we stop here? Uh, yeah that's good so so the first point you, you, you expanded well mashallah that uh, in terms of determining okay everyone agrees that knowledge is central to our deen and then, uh, then the different disagreement is over which knowledge is the most central, and everyone's going to give their answer. And so then, what is he saying is the most central knowledge? Um, the knowledge of the five pillars. Yeah, essentially, and a way to think about it is the knowledge that will prepare me for my meeting with Allah Taala. Mm -hmm. And then, if we look from that perspective, what will give me minimum preparation or primary preparation for my meeting with Allah Taala? That, by definition, is going to be the most important knowledge. Right. And then that be starts with the acts of worship, and then he's splitting that between the external and the internal. And then from there, you can, you can pull, derive everything. So one of the things that Ghazali does with this whole book is that he's synthesizing the internal and the external. That very commonly, the external would be in the realm of legal texts and the internal would be realm of, of Sufi teachings and such. And there, it, uh, much more so in the latter books, it's a synthesis of the internal and the external. So the consequences, here's the rules of diet, and here's also the consequences of, of, of diet on the heart and such. Yeah. Okay, uh, anything else? Uh, we can do Mishkat. Okay, let's go to Mishkat. All right. All right.